Friends, God gives us everything we need to succeed as God's people. The question of faith is, how do we respond? And before we carry that question into this morning's second text, I want us to spend a few minutes with the first lesson we heard today, the Isaiah passage that Alex read, a text surely intended to break open our hearts. In it, the prophet sings a love song about a gardener, a vineyard keeper, who has lavished love upon a beautiful vineyard high on a fertile hill. This devoted gardener cleared the land to create the vineyard, then hand-picked every vine and planted each one in the perfect spot to maximize sun and soil and rainfall. The gardener even built a watchtower to make sure that it all would go well. And in well-founded confidence that all would go well, the gardener is there and has a custom-crafted wine vat right there in the vineyard so that as soon as the grapes are ripe, the gardener can harvest them. And those grapes, in response to the gardener's tender, loving care and careful tending, those grapes will pour forth their sweetness without a moment's delay. Up to this point, this gardener's perfect plan for maximizing the goodness of the harvest reminds me of another avid gardener I know, a professor who used to rhapsodize not about grapevines, but about corn on the cob. I remember him fantasizing about getting a long enough extension cord that he'd be able to lug his microwave out into his garden, and then at the perfect peak of fresh corn ripeness, he'd open the door and clamp the appliance over the corn, cooking it without even removing the ears from the stalk. I think Isaiah's gardener looks at the vineyard with that kind of delight and eagerness. The gardener can already taste the sweet wine that will come from his vineyard, the wine that is named in the text as justice and righteousness. The gardener has lavished upon the vineyard everything needed for these vines to succeed, for their sweet wine of justice and righteousness to flow forth. But something goes horribly wrong. Instead of good grapes that produce good wine, these vines have borne inedible fruit that's no good to anyone. The gardener asks, what more could I have done? But then swiftly pivots, never mind. These vines want to grow their own way, go their own way, so be it. I will no longer tend them, pruning in this season, coaxing in that season. No, I will abandon the vineyard to be trampled, and soon the vines will be choked out by thorns because I will also see to it that endless drought takes root here now. And to be sure we understand the tragic parable, Isaiah adds this little key. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are God's pleasant planting. And the turn of events that should break your heart open is that God expected justice but saw bloodshed, righteousness but heard only a cry. That's why this vineyard matters so much. The sweet wine was not just for the gardener's personal consumption. 
It was the wine that God's world needs. It was justice and righteousness. Church, when I see us accepting the bloodshed of innocent victims, when I hear us ignoring the cry of those God calls us to protect, when I read of justice denied, when I participate in systems that contradict righteousness, I have to pray that God will not give up on us, but will still tend all of us wayward vines so that we do eventually grow as God intended. And chapters later, Isaiah will offer hope that such prayers are not in vain. Isaiah later shares the promise that a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse. In that promise, I hear a whisper that God's faithful care is never for naught. God does everything necessary for us to succeed in bringing forth righteousness and justice. God even sends the only begotten son, this shoot from the stump of Jesse, to show us the way. And so God's care for us continues, giving us new opportunities to bring forth justice and righteousness. The question is, how do we, in faith, respond? Hear now today's passage from the book of Hebrews, beginning with chapter 11, verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell, but the faith of Rahab the prostitute did not perish along with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain resurrection. They were stoned to death. They were mocked. They were flogged. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They were going about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God gives us everything we need 
to succeed as God's people. Even Jesus guiding the way and a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. The question remains, how do we respond? Now plainly the answer has something to do with faith. The book of Hebrews uses that word more than any other book in the entire New Testament. And it carries a particular understanding of faith. What this author means by faith is more what I would call faithfulness. It is faith that is demonstrated, active, lived. It is faith that we do. Today's second reading begins with a litany of people who distinguished themselves through what they did by faith. Those ancient saints faced mighty challenges, persecution, execution, torment, torture, stuff we only read about, thanks be to God. Our modern challenges are subtler. I mean, we really aren't at risk from lions. Instead, we are at risk of being eaten alive by apathy because it seems less painful than despair. We are not at risk of being sawn in two but our generosity is at risk of being cut back by mindless expenditures of consumer spending. And even our empathy is at risk of diminishment by the casual cruelty of social media. Faced with these modern challenges, what will we do by faith? This sermon keeps asking this question because what links today's two texts is the unsettling notion that God actually has expectations of us. As was the case with that vineyard, God has poured out God's very self for us so that we would bear good fruit. So what will we do? What will you do, dare, give, be, to help Morningside Presbyterian live as a vineyard that brings forth the good wine of justice and righteousness. Remember, that's what matters to God, the sweet wine that God's world needs. That's what this race that we're running is all about. We're following not only faithful saints, but Jesus, the ultimate expression of faithfulness. He is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, and we are called to follow his footsteps of justice and righteousness, follow his ways of mercy and inclusion, follow his priorities of feeding the hungry and healing the sick and standing with the marginalized. We persevere in our race by patterning it upon his Jesus moves ahead of us, blazing the trail and setting the pace. And when we start wondering if we're ever going to make it, he and that great cloud of witnesses will cheer us on. Today, Adrian and Dave Mogi do faith by bringing their child to be baptized. We will gather with them in prayer for this newest member of Christ's body, and you will promise to join in encouraging Graham to know and follow Christ. In other words, as he runs his race, you will be part of that great cloud of witnesses right in this building, part of all that God provides for Graham. 
And similarly, when we welcome the latest class of wonderful new members, you will be invited to join in engaging them in our shared life of faith and supporting them in their faith journey. All of which leaves me unable to escape this bit of personal testimony. When I moved to Atlanta after college, that put me in closer connection with my father's family who lived out in Lilburn. And so these people, these relatives that I had grown up with visiting once or twice a year, suddenly became neighbors and I could see them more frequently and I developed a deeper relationship with the woman who was my father's only sibling. I have to explain that she called him brother and he called her sister, and so I'm about to tell you a story about a woman I call Aunt Sister. <laughs> one day, and oh, how I wish I could remember the circumstances. One day, Aunt Sister said to me something along the lines of, without my savior, I just don't think I would have made it through. Now, at this point, I was still completely unchurched. And so the mental filing cabinet had no place for a statement about, without my savior, I would not have made it through. And maybe because it was such an exotic, baffling idea, it somehow stuck around. And so a few years later, when the Holy Spirit saw fit to blow me through the doors of Central Presbyterian Church, and I was baptized 28 years older than Graham is now, I wrote Aunt Sister a thank you note mentioning that long-remembered statement of hers. A couple of days later, the phone rang, and it was Aunt Sister, and there were tears in her voice as she said, Oh, my dear. That's the way she talked. All my life, I have prayed that God would find some purpose for me but I'm just an ordinary woman and I could not see how he could make use of me. But now I know that he has. Three takeaways. Number one, always write thank you notes. <laughs> Number two, have the courage to speak your faith out loud because you never know how it might open up someone's heart. And number three, this race we are running is not about ordinary us. It's about the extraordinary thing that God can do when he makes use of us. It's about us receiving all the tender, loving care and careful tending that God provides, including the incarnate example of Jesus and the encouragement of that great cloud of witnesses, receiving and responding to all that by doing our part to bring forth all that God intends. You know, that sweet wine of justice and righteousness. God gives us everything we need to succeed as God's people. The only question is, how do we, in faith, by faith, respond? Amen.